giggling. Hello, and welcome to another episode of HR Nightmares. This is the podcast and YouTube channel that addresses real HR problems out there in the workplace um, with a little bit of humor, but really pragmatic advice. Um, we always have great co-hosts and awesome guests. Today, I feel extra lucky to have um, my guy, Graham Elmore, Director of People and Culture from Vantica, on as my guest co-host. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Well, thanks, Lisa. I always appreciate uh, having the opportunity to, to be up here with you. Um, my background a little bit, as she said, I'm the Director of People and Culture at Vantica currently. But before that, started my career in education, teacher, coach. Uh, last stop was an elementary school principal. And then thanks to COVID, um, figured I need to make a pivot uh, to support my family a little bit better. So I've been a part of Team Vanica for a little over two years and uh, been working directly with Lisa here for about a year now. It's been a lot of fun. Yes, and he's a excellent person to have as the center of a dance floor. He's uh, my <laughs> teach me how to Dougie, teach me, teach me how to Dougie guy. So, okay, um, the special guest that we have today is one of several DEI experts that we've had on the HR Nightmares podcast. I feel like this is a space that we can never, you know, be talking, discussing, um, exploring different things in this space uh, with with experts. And so I'm pleased to meet Carolyn King and also have her on um, the podcast. Thank you. We you please introduce yourself? Yes. Thank you for having me. I'm Caroline King. I am Bright Star Diversity. Um, I'm fairly new to Wilmington, four to five years. I'm just getting to know the lay of the land, especially because I moved here and then COVID hit. So I didn't get out to get to do much networking. Mm -hmm. So I'm now I'm getting out, getting to meet people like you guys, which is great. Um, I have about 17 years experience in business strategy and clinical research on the corporate side of things. And then I um, started this business about maybe four years ago and I was still working my corporate job and doing this as well. And so recently I have fully committed to doing Bright Star Diversity, 100% left my corporate job, and this is what I'm completely committed to doing, working with businesses, universities, and schools to help them understand the way diversity fits into their like operational excellence, like looking at it from that lens. Mm -hmm. You know, it, how, how everything fits together and diversity is a really big part of that. Yeah. Congratulations on starting your business. It's a huge decision to walk away from a very successful corporate career that's stable. And e it's, it's yeah. not easy, but no. like after 17 years of being in the corporate world and clinical research, like there's just endless opportunities to yeah. continue to grow in that space and to take a risk and 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 start your own business. Congratulations. Thank and you. I wish you all the success. Um, I do think I I'm most interested in kind of understanding like, when you had started the business for on a part-time basis, when you were working in the corporate world in strategy positions, what was that one kind of like key initiative or program that made you kind of get bit by the bug and start exploring what would it be to be a consultant? I would say it's the lack of what I was experiencing that bit me. Yeah, tell us about um, that. So I was seeing a lot of kind of companies checking the boxes. I've worked at a lot of Fortune 500 companies. Um, so... And I worked in the healthcare space for a long time. I started in healthcare disparities and then kind of, um, you know, as I got promoted, kind of ended up in a position that's not where I started. You know, I had a passion for helping people, um, you know, minority groups, vulnerable populations. And I just got to a place where I wasn't doing what I, my mission was. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started just noticing that as I moved up, 
it was a real struggle to move up in the company. And I'm looking around and seeing others that look like me, um, that's not just as African-American, but women too, and other minorities having trouble moving up the corporate ladder. Mm -hmm. um, and also maybe being treated in different ways, um, not as well as other employees, not getting the opportunities, not getting the support, kind of the buy-in from leadership. Um, so they could develop themselves. And that's really what bit me, is my observations of this. What does checking the box look like? So again, we try to help people avoid HR nightmares. And certainly, like I know a lot of um, the fear or hesitancy to sort of like go, you know, dive into diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives or, or get somebody like you to come in and be like, hey, help me structure a strategy. Help me put good policies together. Um, is just like... Well, I don't want to do it wrong. I don't want somebody to go on HR Nightmares and talk about my company and, like, um, how I just check the box. And, like, I just don't want to do it wrong. And so how do we avoid – what does checking the boxes look like? How do we avoid kind of doing lip service to the initiative but also just, like, trying to start somewhere? Yeah. I mean, to me, checking the box is kind of, you know, just – putting together those modules and pushing them out there and requiring people to take them. With like no, a training, like an yes. online training or yeah, something? Yeah, with no real follow-up, no yeah. real person-to-person -person interaction. I know I learn best by having conversations with other people, learning from them, but when I'm just watching a module and, you know, then it goes, you know, check it, you know, then I can move on to the next thing. Every year we had to take, you know, diversity training, security training, whatever, the, whatever it is. Um, but we don't really learning anything new. It's the same training every year. And we're not, the training's not evolving with society. Um, so I call that, you know, checking the box, really not investing in what's happening and keeping current with the trends and checking in with your employees even, like doing assessments and surveys to make sure they're getting what they need. Because I think there's often times that if you were to pull your employees that, that they would say, well, I didn't really learn that much from that training. You know, I'm still feeling ignored. What kind of questions could we ask without being, like, too invasive? Here's two white people asking people about, like, what what questions should we ask without, like, overstepping our boundaries or, like, going out, like, too far over our skis? <laughs> well, I think that's, like, the biggest barrier is that fear of offending people. Yeah, people have totally. like, the best intentions, right? I mean, sometimes people don't, but most of the time the people I meet have wonderful intentions, but they're scared of offending people. Um, and I think that maybe we should not be so scared of offending people and really have conversations. So before you would put in a survey out, bring together a team of people from your company, you know, from all levels of your company, from ba all backgrounds, and, you know, bounce around some questions, ask them, you know, kind of like a focus group, mm -hmm. ask them what questions are appropriate, what, you know, what they would want to be asked. Um, so that makes sense. So I'm thinking about like a focus group at Vantica um, and not hand selecting people because you're making assumptions no. and, you know, going off of what you've heard about people or and maybe you just say, hey, we're setting up this focus group and anyone and everyone we'd like to have participate. Yeah, don't so cap it. Just you don't cap it. Well, you don't. You and know. that really is equity, right? Right. Right. So that speaks to equity. It's right. like you want to you want to give everybody the opportunity to have their input in this. Mm. And so, and also that gives buy-in too. It's like, my company really cares. They wanna know 
what I feel and they really want to ask those tough questions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that also covers you because it's like, yes, I I consulted my employees before I asked these questions, Mm -hmm. you know, so then you can kind of figure out where that line is. Um, I just really think people should not be afraid to ask questions and ask questions of of people in the company, as long as it's done in a respectful way. Right. And, you know, and that's why outside consultants can be very helpful because they have that, you know, objective view. You know, when you're in your company, you're in it. You're in the atmosphere. You have all that, you know, politics and all the other stuff going around. But having somebody from the outside come in and kind of help facilitate can be helpful. Yeah. We are living in a cancel culture. So if I put myself out there and I'm trying to be authentic and I'm talking, you know, in plain language and I'm not perfecting every word that's coming out of my mouth, but my intent is good and true and, and like, coming from a good place, um, it is hard to put yourself out on a limb, right? Mm -hmm. Because then the spotlight is on you and, like, um, so how do you back up if you make a mistake? Or we had Joe Conway on here one time, and he said the same thing. He's like, just try. And if you make a mistake, then you make a mistake. We're all human, but, like, just try. Can you expand on that? And I can totally understand what you're saying because it's like you you can say one thing and then someone puts it out there on Twitter, and then before you know it, it's this huge... Right, huge and deal, you and you, and you did didn't not, mean it that way. You didn't even mean it that way. That right. was not your intention behind the words. Yeah. Um, so I do think, yes, you do need to be careful what you say, you know, but that is part of why you need to hire a diverse staff. Yeah. Because that is somewhat your protection because they're bringing back their, their backgrounds, their opinions to help you kind of learn how to speak the language of your employees. I mean, that's the best advice I can give is really – have a diverse, strong staff. And that's why it's important levels of leadership to have diversity because they're really, that they're passing down their, that messaging. Mm-hmm. And you want to have that, you know, that holistic, like that whole, the whole picture. You mm-hmm. don't want to just coming from, you know, certain demographic. And in this town, you know, a lot of the companies are owned by people that are white. And so, you know, they're getting that one perspective. So they have to really be careful to diversify their board, diversify their management, people leaders. And I think that that will, that will give you some insight into what you can and can't say to people. What does this have you thinking about? I just think about, um, and we talk about a lot, just intent versus impact, right? And so right. while the intent was pure, the impact was something different. And to your point, having the right people at the table to have mm-hmm. the right conversations is important. Um, and thinking of that, like you, you said, you had a lot of opportunities to see what wasn't happening. What would you say to you know HR teams or, or companies that are just starting that maybe don't have any initiatives? Where would you even start to get the party started? Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I think those are the ideal clients, honestly. People that don't have any of that historical. You don't have to fix it. <laughs> right. I mean, the historical um, policies are really what get in people's way. So if you're starting with a clean slate, that's great because you can start where, where society is today. You know, you don't have to worry about fixing stuff from the past, you know, that maybe your company did or put out there or whatnot, because people can dig up whatever now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I would always say, you know, when the way I work is I, I have a consultation with people. You know, it's a free consultation because I want to know if we can work together. You know, are we on the same page? Because not everybody is on the same page. You know, not every everybody has their own reasons for wanting to work in the our wanting to integrate DEI into their their organization. And so I want to make sure we're on the same page and we're both doing it for the same reasons. But 
after a con you know we talk and we consult we define goals we try to do gap analysis we do assessments if they allow us to you know survey their employees that's really critical to figure out where your employees are you can look at your who do you have working for you now you know what what level who do you have in your leadership now and having those conversations is really where it starts mm -hmm. it's like you really want to be able to find your goal measure your goal make sure it's measurable and it's not like a one-stop process. We don't just implement something and walk away. Like when, for Mark, our company, we stay with you. We wanna know where you are in six months, in a year. Is this working? We wanna make sure we have a trackable metric. You know, it's just not working, then we need to change it. Cause they don't, that's not all, like one program fits all companies. One thing that I've found to be a little bit difficult um, when you try to set, it's not all about the numbers, right? It's more about do people feel comfortable to be able to do their best work oh, yeah. at my work? That's what it's all about. Right. Um, it but, really isn't about numbers. Right. But if we're looking at the numbers, right. which especially as the businesses grow, this is important mm -hmm. to at least like have as a data point for the conversation. But it is very hard to get my hands on like talent availability. So like how much of the, for instance, we hire a lot of software engineers. How much of the software engineer talent pool that's out there is white, black, other ethnic minority? Like, I can't get my hands on any talent availability numbers to be able to compare myself to. Like, maybe I'm doing really good. Maybe I'm not doing really good. I don't really know. So where do we go to find information like that? Well, that's readily available online. There's tons of research studies. I mean, I will say the specific job that you mentioned is going to be male-dominated. Yeah. Um, that's just yeah. the way it is. And hopefully that's changing. I meet, um, I it work is. at the college and I meet girls all the time that are, you know, in that area, which is really exciting. Um, but that particular field is, is going to be hard. But we live in a world now where we work remotely. So it's like, you, this is not, if your company is willing to have people that work remotely with software engineers, I would think you would not need to be in the no. office, right? No, you don't. Right. So you can work remotely so you can reach farther. You can go to different, I mean, there's tons of companies that just cater to diverse talent. Mm -hmm. um, and that is one way, you know, one way to try to get diverse talent. And I mean, another thing, another barrier is that when you try to bring diversity in, but you don't have much, it's really hard to bring people in because it's like, okay, I love this company. I love what they're saying, but I'm looking around and there's nobody that looks like me. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it is a matter of, are you willing to, you know, put some money into it, you know, entice people to come to your company, you know, get them to buy in, you know, into your vision. Mm -hmm. Thinking about the HR nightmare theme, right? And some, maybe some of the, and you don't have to name names and I wouldn't expect you to, what, what <laughs> stands out to you is like, that one situation where you're like, man, I wish I hadn't have done that consultation. <laughs> oh, I, yes. I, I mean, yes. <laughs> That's the one we want to hear about. I, I, I had one consultation very early on that I, I learned, I learned a lesson about kind of my reactions to things. So uh, my poker face. An ideal client. Yes. And so ideal client, and it was a school and they were having minorities drop out it was a private school drop out at an alarming rate and they didn't understand what was happening and they're explaining the problem to me and 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 first of all there are some teacher problems they had some 
they weren't doing continuing education with their teachers, so the teachers had been there a long time, are using old language. Oh. Continuing education, especially for teachers, is like so important. I'm sure that you can speak to this sure. too. Like it's very important that we are speaking to children the correct way because it is such an impact. They'll carry this through their whole life. Mm -hmm. um, so during this consultation, that was very clear, first of all. And then um, the, one of the closing comments they said was, well, to make our minority students feel more comfortable, this is an elementary school, we are putting them all in one classroom. Um, so they, and I, that was their, that I was like, you buried the lead. You buried the lead. That's the problem. Like you can't put all the minority students in one classroom to make them feel comfortable. <laughs> I was like, that's the crazy. So, so my poker face was horrible that day. And so I, I did learn from that that I needed to, you know, okay, like, I yeah, but you basically gave him some free advice I, I because did. you were like, ah, Oh, I did. I mean, I, I, mean, I, <laughs> like, oh, I, 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 I immediately told okay. them, like, yeah. disband that classroom. Like, you're essentially promoting segregation at this point. So you need to – it was a very weird conversation, but, you know, that was a client I did not work with. Yeah. You know. But you were put in the right place at the right time, and, and whether the body language gave them the answer they didn't want, at least yeah, it, yeah. It, it helped them realize, like, you, you can't well, do that. I, I hope so. I hope so. I didn't hear back from them. <laughs> so I don't know. But I, no problem. But, yeah. I, but, I, but I hope so, yeah. So I realized. But it, it was a moment of really, like, gosh, there's so much going on out there, you know, and there's so much education that needs to that people need to have that I think is inherent in us, you know. Like, of course you wouldn't do that, right? Like, but they did. Yeah. Someone had a conversation, and after that conversation, they said, this is the right thing this to do. This is the right idea. A number of people agreed that was the right idea. Right. So, and I had a, um, I was on another podcast, and I had a call in, and they had the same thing. They were like, is, they were sending their child to this school, and they wanted to know if that's a normal practice to do this. Mm. Um, this is at a state school that mm -hmm. called in, and I was like, I don't know if it's normal, but it's not right. Yeah. You know. Yeah, if it's normal in your area, I, I, I don't, don't know, but yeah, I don't I, think yeah, so. you shouldn't be doing it. No. I think that gets back to having the right people at the table to have the right conversation, because when you know better, you do better. And mm -hmm. so if you've got everybody exactly. on the same page, only knowing such a limited amount of information, yes. set yourself up. Yes, and I think sometimes when you have not enough, like a team, like a maybe a board or other people that you're consulting, and you're just the head person, and you're making decisions by yourself, and you're not bouncing it off other people, because I can come up with ideas that are completely, you know, whatever I'm boiling the ocean you know that phrase you know yeah. I, I'm gonna fix everything and then someone's like Caroline no you need to focus mm. you know you need like somebody to kind of like keep you in line for your, from your thoughts that get out of hand sometimes mm -hmm. and I think maybe that was a situation where they didn't have that kind of support what would you say is a great story like kind of taking the opposite approach like what's your most favorite success story in in walking into a client and sort of turning things around well, I think I have, I have a number. I mean, my, my greatest successes are when I walk in and I'm dealing with someone that doesn't really, they're just doing it because they know they, sh they, know they have to for, like, public perception. Mm. And we go through the process and, I, and they leave believing in it believing in the benefit of it. I'm able to show them the benefit of this and they've bought into it and they're willing to commit the funds you know, make it a line item because a lot of times what happens is it comes out as like the slush fund, mm -hmm. you know, which is a, always a very bad sign. Like I, you need to have a line <laughs> item in your budget year over year to be able to keep these programs going. 
and be willing to like pay somebody to program manage it. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are like my greatest success stories are, you know, when I get those, usually it's an, an older executive, you know, and they're like, oh, okay, I, I get it. Whether it's they get it that it impacts their bottom line and they're going to make some more, they're going to make more money or they just get it because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. It, you know, doesn't really, I mean, either one, you know, I just, I have a goal. Yeah. Um, and they have a goal. Um, and so those are, you know, those are the greatest success stories I have. And I usually can get most people to buy in sometimes, you know, sometimes it still is, you know, they're just doing it because they have to. Um, or maybe they got, you know, did say the wrong thing, like you're saying, like yeah. we do live in a cancel culture, yeah. right? And so it's like, hurry up, Caroline, get in here, you know, we did, we, we accidentally, you know, stuck our foot in our mouth, you mm-hmm. know, and um, we have, we have those too. Um, you mentioned at the beginning of this thing that you spent some time working in healthcare disparities, right? Mm-hmm. And so healthcare right now is like just total, totally like Mm-hmm. demolished from like a talent shortage mm-hmm. perspective and it doesn't matter what town you go to like there's not enough nurses there's not enough nursing assistants there's not enough environmental people there's not enough doctors there's not enough of anyone um and so with a like a shortage of staff how does that impact like healthcare inequities this is something that's like su- should be super important to every listener out there because we all have our local hospitals and our local healthcare practices and stuff. I mean, so like how is the talent shortage either worsening healthcare inequities or like is there anything that we can do as a society to help with that? I mean, I think that is such a has so many layers. Um, you know, it goes kind of like education. We need to be able to give our our youth like better equity into educate education so that everybody has you know better opportunities to go to school become a nurse so Mm -hmm. we have more nurses so we need at that level um and then also paying people more is also we're seeing that coming out of covid you know people are making the choice i don't want to work because i'm not really getting paid that much you know so what's the difference you know i can stay home and you know maybe collect unemployment or you know or i could really I could go to work and pay childcare and all these other things and cost is so high just to live right now, right. you know? So I think that a lot of the shortages, we need to treat people better, especially in healthcare. Healthcare is grueling. There's burnout. It is, it's a tough area to work in. I wasn't, I didn't work in clinical. I was a business strategist and I experienced burnout mm-hmm. on my end of it. Um, so I cannot even imagine being a nurse, like on the floor every day, Really, I think that it's like they need to be paid more, supported more, and, and we would find probably more 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 of these healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. I just really think that they're they're burnt out and they're tired. And what is attractive about that? Like, why would you want to go into that field when you're you know you're going to the hospital and you're just seeing like this you know this frustrated nurse or doctor you know rushing from room to room, not really connecting or making relationships with other people. Yeah, it's pure craziness. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember talking to a chief nursing officer um, doing a demo of WorkTalk. It's like an app that I created a, a couple of years ago where it's just really meant to, like, automate check-ins between an employee and a supervisor, especially for healthcare. Because when I was talking to this chief nursing officer, every nurse manager had, like, 80-ish 
direct reports. Can you imagine that's having a lot. 80 direct reports? I've had close, but not that many. That's I mean, a lot. that's just silliness. It's pure silliness. And there's right. no possible way that even if you made it your full-time job to just round on people. Yeah. Right. Check in with and people, like, right? What's going on? Your yeah. husband has cancer. Your yeah. your kid had the flu and mm-hmm. you couldn't come to work. Like your mom's sick. Blah blah. Like you can't possibly talk to eighty people in a week, and so it's just craziness. So even developing that rapport is, um, yeah. you know, it's it's just not providing. Yeah, I mean great... that rapport is so crucial in any situation. You talk about healthcare burnout or or diversity, whatever. Like that connection with your manager, your boss, your leadership, that's like you buy into your company from that relationship, you know? Yeah. And that's how they you... They are the company. Yes, they too. are your company. They are, right? Yeah. Took yeah. it right out of my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, tell, we talked about yeah. that before. Yeah. And that's how you get, like, employee loyalty, you know? It's like, I like who I work for. I'm proud to work for them. They're investing in me, you know? But if they just run you into the ground, it's like, as soon as something that looks better comes along, you're going to go. Mm-hmm. Burnout leads to resentment. Resentment mm-hmm. leads to resignation. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to hear I quit. Nope. Um, all right. Well, how long have we been at this? Is it time for some write-ins? You ready to play HR expert? <laughs> <laughs> the good news is... I think um, so. Yeah. Well, we always preface things with we're not employment attorneys, so we're just giving you free advice. <laughs> Um, okay. I'm definitely not. So the fun part is we always go through a couple of audience writing questions. We got a few from a couple different uh, states, which sometimes impacts the way that we answer the questions. Right. Um, sometimes we're left without all the information that we need to <laughs> properly give our free advice. So we do our best. Um, and so I want to start with one that is kind of like a little bit sad, but to be honest, this is probably... Uh, happening in all different companies of all different sizes, and it has to do with um, someone on the staff who develops dementia. And so I'm going to read the the write in here, and then let's just let's chat about what we would do if we were your head of HR. So um, this person write in from uh, Nebraska. I'm an employee dealing with a coworker who most definitely has dementia. Okay, so most definitely that always, I'm like, do we know? Is it a documented diagnosis? I know exactly what to say. Yeah. Are they diagnosed? Did we see a clinical diagnosis? Like, are you the, you're, you're no. saying you're the employee. Like, does this person share it with you? Okay, so moving on. Her work uh, constantly needs corrected. She's a giant liability to the company. This has been discussed with upper management many, many times, and they have asked me to keep documentation of each incident, I guess, like when this person mm-hmm. forgets something or whatever. They seem to understand and agree, but this has been going on for several years now. Okay, that's crazy. How would you handle this? I understand that approaching an employee and indicating that they could have dementia would be a sticky situation. Yes, please don't do that. But something has to give. Note they're still a few years from retirement. Okay, so what we know here is that the person isn't doing their job to standard. We know that this is a, we think this is a peer, right, observations, and that they're just getting super frustrated over the course of several years that nothing's sort of being done or it seems like this person isn't getting addressed. Um, But they're having to probably pick up the slack and do the work that maybe this person is forgetting or not doing properly. And so if we were the head of HR... What's the first thing we would do? Oh, I'm, 
I don't ever want to speculate on a diagnosis, right? So like, <laughs> right. It, I know. It, I, feel is, like, I feel like it, that's like stay far, far away from that. <laughs> but, but I think if, if there is suspect, we should probably operate as if there is to cover ourselves to a certain degree and also to be fair to the employee, just thinking about like what are they capable of doing? Because I, I immediately think when I hear that, is this somebody that was a high performer for us before? Right. Like, and then all of a sudden, how did the behaviors it, it, deviate right. from what used to be normal? Because my concern is that there hasn't been any communication um, to the person to give them the heads up. Because like, yes. uh, my wife will tell me quickly if I'm not doing something right. Thank goodness <laughs> for her; she's a saint. But like, if I don't know, I'm going to keep operating the same way. Yeah. So, does yeah. this person actually know that they're operating incorrectly? That um, is a great point. And then also like. What if it's not dementia? What right. if just giving this person kind of a heads up on, hey, I don't know if you noticed, but here's the facts. You forgot to get the report in by Friday afternoon, which we've been doing for 10 years. You didn't take the trash out. You didn't do your rounds. You didn't pack the right. product up, you know, in time to get it to the FedEx guy. And they may say, like, you know what? I, I probably do need to go see somebody about it. I did not realize that at all. I've not, I've not gotten that feedback to your point. But then what if it's not dementia? So... Um, it doesn't matter whether or not, like I've had a, I've had an instance, um, where somebody's like limping down the hallway. Okay. In a manufacturing plant and we're dealing with like 2,300 degrees Celsius furnaces. So I don't need someone falling into a furnace. Okay. If they're limping now, not to say that they couldn't do a job. Maybe it's not that job, but maybe I could go put them in a desk job for a little while while whatever's going on with their ankle heels. But what you can do as an employer is ask a person to go to a company doctor. And so even if you don't have somebody on staff, right, you can get a relationship with an occupational physician or PA. There's one in your town, wherever you're listening from. Um, you can get a relationship with them for no cost and pay for this person to go to a doctor's appointment and get someone who knows what they're talking about and is able to diagnose this person to make an assessment. Send their job description, send some like physical you know, requirements of the job if they sit at a desk all day, if they're out on the plant floor, standing on their feet for 12 hours, like whatever the physical push, pull, lift, twist requirements are, you gotta tell that occupational um, you know, provider the requirements and they'll be able to make the assessment and they may say, this person can't work for you. Their cognitive abilities are like low or not what you need as far as, you know, and they may have questions for you as the employer, like follow-up questions, and there should be discussion. There should be discussion between the employee, the HR person or the owner of the business, the occupational provider, um, but like it's worth it, especially if the person's worked there for years. I mean, give Absolutely. them, cut them a break, like try to help them out. Get them the help. Yeah. You can be right or you can be kind. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and it would be nice to be both. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that, that is so true. I mean, that human element, I think we need to really bring that back in. Like people are individuals, they're people, they're not disposable, you know. And I think that we, some companies get in that mindset of like this disposing of people. And I think really investing, I mean, who knows what's going on in that person's life? You know, I... I had two little kids, right? So after I had the two kids, my brain was not as yeah. clear as it was before. Right. You know, and so I would have really hated to lose my job because, you know, I just have two babies at home. You know, that's not really, doesn't seem really fair to me. So it's Yeah, like, you're tired. I'm yeah, sleeping. Right. I'm forgetting things. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, so I think that having a conversation and really just sticking to the facts too, you know, like 
We don't know if they have dementia, but what are the facts? You missed a deadline. So have to start the conversation from there. Like, I've noticed you missed this deadline. Is there anything going on, you know? That is How the can perfect thing yeah. to say as you a know? colleague. For sure. Even if you're not in, like, a leadership position to this person, you can pull them aside oh, yeah. in the oh, cafeteria yeah. or at the coffee machine and be like, hey, I've noticed a couple things lately. Can I can I share? I think you'd want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, is there something going on? Like, is there anything I can do to help yes. you? Yes. But I'm I'm with you. Yes. Yeah. In that moment too, I think just cataloging something for yeah. years is yeah. really not very helpful. I mean, in the moment, address. Yes. I just this PowerPoint was not on the topic it was supposed to be on, and right. then have that conversation. Yeah. You know, but, I mean, but two years ago, you missed some deadline. Is I don't think that's very helpful. I will say kudos to the person asking the question because to your point, even having this laundry list to think, well, what were what are they gonna do with it? So like right. I would encourage that person to like ask that tough question, like, hey, we're doing I'm happy to do this, but like what's the what's the intent? Yeah. What's the impact that we're right. trying to get from right. this? Right. Very true. I Very used true. to do uh, training workshops with a guy named Mike Smith and he I always loved he used to ask like the crowd like does anybody know what stuffing is? And people are like, yeah, it's like at Thanksgiving, it goes in the turkey. And he's like, no, stuffing is cataloging incidents and never addressing it in a timely manner with somebody. And then you just blow up after weeks or months or years or whatever. And so it sounds like this person is stuffing quite a bit. (laughs) Um, And I like your idea of giving the, the colleague timely feedback. And I always like the model of like, situation behavior impact and yeah. framing it up like hey here was the situation we were in this meeting um i noticed that you know you totally zoned out or we asked you questions three different times and you weren't you were like it was like you didn't even hear the first 30 minutes <laughs> of the meeting like and the and we're just all wondering like are are you okay and what's going on so situation behavior impact is always a nice way to kind of frame it up and like especially that. do it in a timely manner um all right you want to do another one great job guys let's do it all right um, okay, let's hit this one. So this is somebody called uh, writing in from North Carolina. I was three months away from being promoted in my tax role at a large firm and changed departments to finance. So that's always interesting to me when like promotions only happen in like white collar jobs, like based on tenure. I always think that's kind of interesting. Like, is it okay? Uh, when I changed. There was no communication between departments about my performance reviews, so I never got promoted. Okay. I have a counselor, another colleague that is not HR in my firm, but he has no idea how to promote me or who to talk to about promotions. I cannot find out who HR is, and no one seems to know who is making these decisions or how to get in touch with HR. Wow. Run. They need the HR group badly. Um, We have to use tickets for everything. Ooh, that's interesting. And that is getting introduced in larger companies like tickets for the HR team. How can HR help large companies or firms advise their employees how to advance in their roles or change departments? This one is multifaceted. I love it. There's a lot of layers here. There's a lot of layers (laughs) on that one. Ticketing, just the ticketing system. Yeah, just like ticketing for people issues. Do you like that? I don't. no, <laughs> not not in the moment. I, from what I understand of it, no. Uh, having been in the customer service background at one point in 
you know, days were thrived on tickets. I can just imagine being locked in and losing and like, that. Oh my God, how badly it would drive us nuts, like yeah. trying to resolve people problems yeah. in like a certain time frame yeah. or like Lisa when they get... telling me, hey Graham, your ticket uh, response time is down. <laughs> I need you to get... <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, HR <laughs> is human resources, humans, yeah. humans. Like, you know, I mean, these are, you're, you're figuring out like relationships and conflict resolution, which I don't really think can be done through a ticket. And it well, it can be right, but I don't think it feels good. Yeah, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like you you care about me. You're not really investing. I'm just yeah. a number in a queue. If it's like I can't log into Paylocity or ADP, and that's right. t- like okay, I kind of understand that. Yes. Yeah. But we always joke about. So we call our HR department people and culture. Um, and we always tell people we got to make these T-shirts. It's not policies and complaints. P and C. Yep. People, People and culture. culture, not policies and complaints. I feel like we would get so many complaints <laughs> if we had a ticketing system. Like yeah. people would just be yeah. like midnight yeah, yeah. after yeah. a beer, yeah. just like yeah. plugging in the complaint. And another thing. Yeah, and another thing <laughs> that you need to work on tomorrow, PNC team. Yeah. Um, so P- PTSD kicking in of those angry parent emails that I'd wake up to the next day. As totally. The principal. Like, I can't oh, imagine. Another one. Oh, man. But getting promoted, I mean, it's a super personal thing. And especially if you feel like you're close to getting a promotion mm-hmm. and you take a risk on kind of moving to a different apartment and professionally growing. Um, but you still want people to acknowledge, like, all the experience that you're bringing into that role. And you don't just erase your yeah. entire background when you move into a different department. So I think I'm um, a little confused on the, the switching of com- departments and then still getting the promotion. I don't sure how that works. Like I would just stay in my role and get my promotion in that role. Yeah, like, is and it, like is I transferable. At, yeah, I mean I worked at a Fortune 500 company, and Corning was relatively progressive when it came to talent planning and stuff. Um, so it was always very. We had uh, uh, PeopleSoft, which was uh, yeah. once I changed. Uh, like I got a different manager, they could see all my past performance reviews and like all my pay increases. And so like to not have visibility to that is odd. Um, So I would like look into, are you truly assigned to your new manager in the system? Um, But then also like, can you log in and see them? I would think from a self-service portal perspective, you should be able to like find them yourself and print them out and download them. And you can talk about it in your one-on-one with your boss. But, like, didn't you get a pay increase when you moved to the new job? Or did you? I got a lot of questions. I got a lot of questions. (laughs) I I just think, like, the question is ultimately, like, it sounds like there is an HR department of some sort, and there's probably some standard operating procedure, but it's not knowing. So from, like, an HR perspective, how do we make that really transparent for the team so they can see it, understanding, you know, moves happen, change happens fast. But I would hope that her, her mentor or counselor has received some sort of promotion or a salary adjustment at some point in their career, but it sounds like it's still super vague. And so I, I think yeah. in in wanting to personally be a really good HR business partner is getting those cadences in place of having those quarterly conversations and weekly check-ins and setting the cadence and saying, hey, you know what? We're going to analyze the market rate for salary ranges twice a year, and then we can have these conversations. I think mm-hmm. HR getting out in front and, and doing that people element, it sounds like the people element is missing. It's missing. And yeah, you, and you can have all the policies in the world, but if your employees don't know about the policies, yeah. or you know, I mean, look good at hundred percent. Well, the other thing too is, HR doesn't do promotions. Like right. we right. Yeah. we ask great questions, and right. like Graham right. said, we try to be great That's HR yeah. business partners and make sure that we're not promoting the wrong people or 
excluding people who deserve it Mm -hmm. that maybe don't look like the manager that wants to do the promotion. So, like, I think we can ask the right questions and facilitate good discussion around promotions. But at the end of the day, HR is not going to give you the promotion. The people in management positions in your function are going to promote you. So you need to be having, more importantly than finding out who your HR person is, which that is kind of disturbing that you don't even know how to find them, Uh, but more importantly is having great discussions with your boss and your boss's boss about what you want to do with your career, how do you get there, and asking for their help. Everyone wants to be part of a success story, and so if you can ask them, hey, I'm in this director of finance position now, Someday I want to be in your seat. Doesn't mean I want to take your job. I'll move to Germany. I'll go to New York. I'll do anything. Like, But I want to be a VP of finance someday. Can you help me get there? What do I need to do? Can you talk me through your journey? What Do I need to go back to school? Do I need to work on a project or take a leadership position on like an, an employee resource group? Right. There's all different you know things you can talk about, but it's with your boss and their boss, not HR. Yes. Nailed it. mic drop (laughs) All right. well hey um, any other closing comments this has been fun what's your favorite dance his is the Dougie I like the Dougie too okay so so backstory I was teaching 8th grade math and we were doing it was Thanksgiving and there was a fundraiser and whoever's class got the most money the teacher had to wear the costume of a turkey and it was when the Dougie came out and so I told the kids that I would do it if we raised the most money. And so there's probably some video out there. It was like before social there's media. There's plenty really, of videos, there, now, now it's, it's reimbursed to, at, at Vanica at, at one of our We um, do it parties. at all the parties. It's like a rite of passage. There was even a tacky oh, sweater it. made of it with me dancing oh on the sweater. God. So it's a, it's a thing. And yeah. I appreciate it. Lisa always likes to find a way to bring it up. Hey, it's been fun. Thank you, yes. Caroline. Thank you for having Thank me. Thank you, Graham, for being our guest host. Um... I'm Lisa Leith. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe out on YouTube. Make sure that you're tuning in and getting automatic alerts when the new podcasts air. Make sure that you're following Leith HR Group because all the HR nightmares micro clips show up there. You'll get all the juicy tips in one minute or less. And then also make sure that you're checking us out on TikTok, HR Nightmares. Um, We're getting lots of views. There's like a few clips out there with like 350,000 views. So... Let's try to get TikTok famous. That's what Gabby wants to do. So thank you so, so much. Another episode of HR Nightmares. We're trying to help you avoid them. Um, Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.